All right, today we are in a series called New Beginnings, where we're looking at um, a, uh, some stories in the Bible of somebody that got a new beginning and what we can learn from um, their new beginning experience. And today we're looking at Jonah, the legendary loser. You know Jonah, he ran from God. By the way, uh, this pulpit's got a new beginning today. This pulpit is not new. It's, it's an older pulpit, but it, um, it's new here on this stage for the first time. Some of you may recognize it. This pulpit was the pulpit at uh, Heritage Community Church in Auburn. And uh, as you all heard last week, um, was their last service in Auburn. And today, uh, they've merged. And today, many of them are here in this room right now. And so... We love you. We love you, and we're happy to, to have you worshiping with us. Um, and I really like this pulpit, so we brought it over here. <laughs> but it's not going to stay here. It's going to go back. Because the Word of God is not done being preached at that location. It's going to go back. But for today, I get to use a pulpit that I really like. <laughs> All right, let's get into the story of, of Jonah. We remember, when you, th- when you hear about Jonah, when you hear Jonah, you think, oh yeah, that guy ran from God. I've heard the story more than once in Sunday school alone. Jonah, the dude that ran from God. Right. What a loser. And so when we think about Jonah, the guy that ran from God, Some of you in the back of your head, you might not even be aware of your thinking, but I would wager most of us are already thinking, Jonah, the guy that ran from God, this will be a good message for those people running from God. This can't be about me. I'm one of the good guys. God speaks to me. I read my Bible. This can't be about me. I don't run from God. I'm one of the good guys. Time out. Jonah was one of the good guys. The book of Jonah starts out and says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Does that sound like a bad guy? Jonah was one of the good guys. So if you, you know, this is a good message for the people that are running from God. One of those guys can't be about me. I'm one of the good guys. Listen, Jonah was one of the good guys. So this message is even more about us. Preach it, Pastor Adam. That's a good point. I never thought of that before. Thank you. This is about us. Jonah was God's partner. So if you see yourself as one of the good guys that doesn't run from God, this applies all the more. So I want to challenge you a little bit. When you realize today, I, I wager that most of us, if not all of us, are currently right now at this moment running from God in one way or another because we all got sin. We all have a, a temptation to sin. We all are humans. And so I would wager to say that most of us, if not all of us, are currently at this moment running from God one way or another. So when the Lord, it might be a small way. It might be a small way. So I want to encourage you to lean forward and listen to what God wants to say to your heart because it might be this little tiny thing that's going to make the world of a difference for you. This little tiny thing might make the world of a difference for you. And if you lean forward and listen for it, I think God might show you what it is. 
And when he does, when God shows you, like, hey, you're running from me in that way. Here's a little way you're running from me. When God shows you, I, I challenge you, I ask you to please stop listening to me just for a minute, just not, not long. <laughs> just for one minute, take one minute, stop listening to what I'm saying and write down what God said to you. Write down the thing, send yourself an email, send yourself a text, whatever you gotta do. Grab an offering envelope. If you have a pen, you can write on the back of that and just keep it. Write down what God said to you. This is an area that I'm running from God. Because here's, here's the deal. If you, for most of us, if we know where we're running from God, we will correct the situation. But often we don't realize it. We'll get into that. So, so when you become aware, stop, drop, and write it down. All right. So uh, yesterday, before we get into Jonah here, we'll be at the first chapter. I've got to have to tell a quick story. Uh, yesterday we had a, a fantastic ladies' conference. I didn't come because I'm ineligible. Um, but I hear it was, I hear it was amazing. Um, yes. Okay. There we go. Some people saying this, it was, I hear it was amazing. Um, and the speaker's family came and so, and her husband is a pastor friend of mine and I had my kids with me during the ladies conference. He had his kids with him and it was like, what are we going to do? Let's go bowling. So we took our kids bowling yesterday during the ladies conference. It was awesome. And uh, my father-in-law has taken my children bowling several times. I've never taken my kids bowling. So I got to see my kids bowl for the first time. And they, they kind of knew what to do because he's taking them. And I got to watch for the first time my five-year-old daughter bowl, which was hilarious. <laughs> that bowling ball weighs more than she does. And she would, you know, if you know, if you know my daughter, you understand that she's uh, really strong-willed and she's just... She's, yeah, she's like her mom. Uh, love you, sweetheart. So, but my daughter is pretty strong-willed, and if there's something she wants to do, she sets her mind to it, and it doesn't matter what it takes, she's going to figure out how to do it. And so she knows in bowling, you pick up that big, heavy ball, and you roll it down the, the lane. One way or another, she's going to pick up that ball and roll it down the lane. And so I watched her. Go, I'm like, how's she going to do this? She does it with, with grandpa. How's she going to do it? Yeah. And she knew to, she kind of put her fingers in a hole, but then, you know, her, she can't pick the bowling ball up like that. She's five. So she's, it looked like one of those strongman competitions. She gets the ball and she goes. And I just sat there and watched her. And then she heaves it up on her shoulder. And then she shot puts it the best and it's not from up high it's from down low so you know like we didn't get kicked out but she's like mm. I just it's like okay that's how she does it one way or another she's going to get the bowling ball down she had to get kind of creative to figure out how to get this ball that was heavier than she was to roll down the lane she was pretty creative in that creativity works in bowling it's okay to be creative when you're bowling but we need to watch it. We don't get creative in our sin. Don't get creative in your sin. That's what, that's what Jonah did. Jonah got creative in his sin. Here's number one. A new beginning is necessary when you get creative in your sin. You might need a new beginning if you get creative in your sin. Here we are. We're going to read it in Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, because anytime you run from God, it's going to cost you. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God said, Jonah, I want you to take a road trip 500 miles to the east to Nineveh. And Jonah instead took a boat trip, a treacherous boat trip, 2,500 miles away. I would boat 2,000 miles. That's what he sang along the way. Sorry. Sometimes these funny things pop into my mind, and I don't know if they're going to be funny or not until they come out. And I just let it go. Should have practiced that one. It would have been a whole lot easier for Jonah. My point in telling you about the geography, it would have been a whole lot easier for Jonah to just do what God said. That would have been easier. 500 miles to the east, go tell them they're all going to die. And instead, he gets in a boat and goes five times further in a worse method, a harder method of travel. Would have been a whole lot easier. See, I think this story is a story of perspective. Uh, We do not believe that this book was written as it happened. This is not Jonah's diary. This is memoirs, or this is an autobiography, or a biography. When it was all done, when he went through his life, he looked back and was able to say, I ran from the Lord. That's what I was doing. I think if it was... If he live tweeted this, if it was like happen, if it was his diary, his diary would have read more like, like, God mentioned Nineveh to me, but my heart was moved for the lost people of Tarshish on the very furthest edges of the known world. Who's gonna, who's gonna show them God's love? God, God mentioned Nineveh to me, but I want to go here to do a good thing. I want to go here to. I want to go here because I'm a prophet. I can prophesy to the furthest edges. Hey, listen, a good thing that's different than what God told you ain't a good thing. He, I believe, got creative in his sin. He explained it away. Only in the past, only after he went through and he looked back and had a past perspective on what he went through, could he see the picture clearly. If only he had been sensitive and humble In chapter one, he could have avoided whale belly. If only you and I are sensitive to God and his will and his voice and be humble enough to admit we're messed up, we might be spared some hardship. Not punitive hardship, but God gets your attention hardship. See, we see in chapter four later the reason that he didn't want to go to Nineveh He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God was gracious. He knew God was a good God, and he knew God was going to forgive him. And he didn't want God to forgive those kinds of people. He was creative in his sin. Jonah allowed his prejudice and opinions to color the picture of what God cared about or wanted. I wonder if we ever do that. Do Do we ever let our own opinions and prejudice color the picture? and define what we think God wants. Jonah did. One of the good guys did. 
So if you're one of the good guys, like, let's join the club. Like, that happens sometimes. Our opinions matter. But next to what God's saying, they don't matter that much. They matter, you know, just a tiny bit. They don't matter that much. What God says matters. Keep that in mind when, when we start to get creative with sin. Some of us are creative. Maybe some of us in the room, maybe some of us worshiping online are creative. It would just be easier for you to do what God says. It would just be easier for you to do what God says. Some people have become experts at clearing internet search history. Some of you have two phones to help you sin. Some of us have rationalized lies and hidden the truth under the veil of kindness. And I think, I can speak for myself, but I suppose it's probably the same for you, I think the areas in which God tempts us the most, sorry, when the, I think the areas where the devil tempts us the most is areas where, where it's like, like, like he grabs the thing that's good about us and helps us take it to an extreme. And it becomes sin. Quiet, introverted people can be tempted to hermit in their house and never talk to other humans that God has called them to talk to. Is that sin? You betcha. That's running from God right there. Loud, extroverted people. Hello, who? Who's that? <laughs> Loud, extroverted people can be tempted to obnoxiously say what's on their mind and truly hurt and push other people away if they don't have that characteristic in their life balanced. Is that sin? You bet. That's running from God. I think the devil loves to take what's beautiful about us. Yep. Yeah. says, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, be more like that. And a strength taken to an extreme is always a weakness. And often sin. And it becomes very easy to explain away that sin. That's creative. That's not sin. It's just the way I am. It's just, it's just the way God, God made me. God didn't make me to talk to other people. Yes, he did. Maybe not everybody. He made you to talk to the people that he put you in your life. That's who he made you to talk to. I think we all get creative in our sin at one point or another. See, there's sins, there's the obvious ones, sins that, that we know we're doing, sins that we're aware of. I think there's also some sins we're not aware of. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how he's the chief sinner. Like Paul? He was legendary awesome. <laughs> Paul was. Yet he called himself the chief of sinners. I'm the worst, is what he said. And I don't think it's that he sinned more than, more than I did. I think it's that he saw more than I do. When you get closer and closer with God, it's like the magnifying glass. Or the microscope just goes from 10x to 25x. Whoa, I, whoa, that was there? I hope we're all humble enough to recognize that our microscope can go higher. And if we go a little bit closer towards God, we might see some stuff that was there. Th that was there? I didn't know that was there. And now that I know it's there, now I'm responsible to get rid of it. Uh, David told his son, uh, Sam, um, the wise one, 
thinks, Solomon. David told Solomon, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. So, well, I didn't actually do anything wrong. I was just, you know, thinking maybe I would. Well, that counts. God knows your intent better than you do. Your intent, not just your actions, but your intent, your motive, God knows it better than you. So the humble, let's be of the humble. The humble say, search me, God, and know my heart. Hey, God, see this? Here it is, God. Search me. Know my heart. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer for us to do every day. Hey, God, search my heart today. Is there anything that's keeping me from you? I don't want to be running from you. All right, so we pick up the story. Jonah gets in the boat. He heads to Tarshish. And then a huge storm comes, and Jonah goes down under the boat. One interesting theme throughout the book of Jonah, uh, Jonah goes down. As he's running from God, in the process of him, of him running from God, he physically goes down. His elevation is lowered. He was where he, wherever he was, and he went down to Joppa. And then he got on a boat, which took him down to sea level. And then on the sea, he went down to the lower depths of the boat. And well, you know what happens next. He was down further than that, and it wasn't until he was down that he was humble enough to reach back out to God. If you're on away from God, something's going down. All right, so Jonah went down under the deck and he was sleeping and the storm picked up and all these sailors, they aren't Hebrews. They're pagans. They worship whoever they worship and they're in the boat. Jonah's sleeping and they all think they're gonna die and the captain says, pray to your gods and they're all praying to whoever they're praying to. They're just praying to their gods and the captain, is there anybody else left? Is there, like, which God might have the power to stop? Is there anyone left? Jonah, get Jonah up from down there. Get him up. Jonah, Jonah, we're going to die. This ship is going down. We're going to die. Pray to your God. And Jonah says, I could pray, but it would just be a pretense. Why bother? I'm a prophet. I know what's happening here. The only way out of this, you all will die if you don't throw me over. So they threw him over. Off the boat. He begged him to, you all will die if you don't throw me over. And so they, they threw him overboard. And immediately, we'll, we'll pick up the verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. So they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. That much I remembered from Sunday school. This verse, I forgot was there. Verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Those sailors all got saved. There was a revival on a boat. There was a little worship service on that boat. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Those sinner sailors had a worship service. It's not just Jonah that got a new beginning in this story, but those sailors who got Jonah out of, your boat, out of their boat. Here's number two. A new beginning comes when you get Jonah out of your boat. If you need a new beginning in your life, a new beginning can come when you get Jonah out of your boat. 
Some of you have a storm in your life that's not your own making. Some of you have a storm in your life because you've got Jonah in your boat. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That bad company corrupts good character, that was a phrase that um, a Greek poet wrote. Menander, I think. A Greek poet wrote that. But God made sure it got into the, into the Bible. Even non-Christians understand that. Bad, bad, char- bad company corrupts good character. That's in the Bible. The people you hang out with matters a whole lot to God. It's been said that you are the sum total of the top five people you hang out with. Think just for a minute. Do a little inventory in your mind. Who's the top five people you hang out with? Just think about them. Like, like your spouse, I hope. Maybe a couple of employees. Who's the top five people you hang out with? Think for just a moment how they affect your life. Does that not ring a little true? The top five people you hang out with affect your life quite a bit. Hey, just imagine, what, what, what would your life be like if Jesus was one of the top five? Like, it, could, it can happen. You could still hang out with him. He could be one of the top five people you hang out with. That would change you a lot. It's been said that you're the, the sum of the top five people you hang out with. That does not mean that you should not hang out with non-believers. You should hang out with non-believers. Jesus did it all the time. He started scandals because he loved hanging out with non-believers. He was very scandalous because he hung out with people that holy ones shouldn't hang out with. But, but here's the, the deal. When, when, you, when we do it, when we hang out with, with non-believers, there's, uh, I just think, some perspective we have to have. So if I may, I'd like to provide for you four rules of engagement for hanging out with non-believers. Rules of engagement for hanging out with non-believers. Number one. Be the influencer. Yep. You should hang out with non-believers. Yes. But don't let them, don't let non-belief influence you. You be the influencer. Make sense? Right. Number two, control their volume in your life. You can't control them talking, but you can control your listening. Yep. There was a time in my life where I had to, when, when someone said something that I didn't want to go into my heart, I had to con- consciously say to myself, that was wrong. I didn't, I didn't look at him and say, that was wrong. I didn't do that. But, <laughs> but I, I had to say it in my head because I didn't want that. I had to control the voice, the volume of their voice into my heart. Oh, that was wrong. I can't control them talking, but I can control my hearing. Here's number three, rules of engagement for hanging out with non-believers. Number three, avoid the fitting in syndrome. Do I need to explain what the fitting in syndrome is? Most of us already can guess what that is. We, we, I'll, I'll define it. Fitting in syndrome is when you, when you want to fit in. And so you conform to the way everyone else is so that you can fit in a little better. Now, to a certain degree, this is a great idea. Um, I mean, you all are fitting in quite nicely today because you all have clothes on. Thank you. <laughs> you all have pretty similar. There's shirts. There's pants. We all have, okay, we fit in all right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> good thing. Yeah. But don't allow be- your behaviors to change because you want to fit in. The Bible says that we are a set-apart people. The King James says we are a peculiar people. Turn to the person next to you and say, he might be talking about you right now. <laughs> you are a peculiar people. 
So if you feel like, oh, I want to fit in, like, okay, yeah, Christians, Christians, you're not from this world. We're foreigners here. We're not from this world. You aren't supposed to fit in. Like, I hope you fit in here. You should fit in when you're with believers. But you shouldn't fit in. You should stand out. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. We should stand. So avoid the fitting in syndrome. And number four, don't yoke up with an unbeliever. Yoked up means where, where you go, they go, where they go, you go. So uh, it, in the olden days when they would, like before the days of tractors, they would have a plow and the plow would be pulled by ox. And so if you had one ox, they could pull a certain amount of force. And then if you had two ox that were both connected by, with a rope to the plow, they could pull two X, double. But farmers came up with this thing called a yoke. And it was like, imagine a board that had holes for the neck and they could clamp it down. It didn't like choke them, but it clamped it down over there their necks, and so they were, they were pretty tight, and it was a straight board, so it was rigid, so one the ox was here, and the other ox was here, and if one ox even turned their head, the other one was stuck going, so they had no possible way to move except forward and together. Do you know what farmers realized? When you put ox in a yoke, two ox were not pulling... Two oxen, two oxen. My wife is very good at helping me get my, my grammar correct. Lee, correctly, correct? correct. Good. I, I could speak gooder because of her. So there's two oxen, and they got a... English teacher is crazy. Yes, yes, there's an English teacher right in front of me. So the, the, the two oxen don't pull double the, double the force. When you put them in a, a yoke, they pull a great multiple of that. The synergy makes them pull even stronger. The Bible says, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. Where they turn their head, well, your your head's turning. You're yoked. So this is talking about, uh, I think, dating, very best friends. Um, Get Jonah out of your boat. Some of us need to reevaluate who's in our boat if we want to see a new beginning. You may not have Jonah in your boat, but you got him in your phone. You know how to delete contacts from your phone, right? Come see me if you need to. I can help you. Maybe you got Jonah on your Facebook. You got to get, get the voice out of your life. Maybe, maybe you have Jonah on your, on your Facebook. Maybe you've got distractions. You got mismatched values and belief with people that you're with. And don't tell me it doesn't affect you. It affects you. It affects you. The people you hang out with matters to God a lot. You may need to delete them. You may need to block her. You may need to unfriend that old girlfriend. You need to unfollow some voices of negativity in your life. Get Jonah out of your boat, and you just might find a new beginning. Here's the third thing we learned from Jonah's story. Third thing. A new beginning doesn't always look like one. A new beginning doesn't always look like one. So Jonah's thrown overboard. He's drowning. The Bible describes, he describes in detail how he went down, down, down to the depths. He's drowning. Really, he's getting what he deserves. And the Lord came and saved his life. See, as as a kid, I somehow heard this story as... You run away from God, you're going to get eaten by a whale and he's going to puke you up. 
Like, I'm never running from God. I don't want to get eaten by a whale. But that's not what happened. I mean, it's what happened, but that's not the moral of the story. Jonah was drowning. Certain death. Verse 17. Now the Lord, if you could put that up there, I want everyone to read this with me. I want the verse up there. Verse 17. Now the Lord, say it with me, provided. Say it again. Now the Lord a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord provided it. Not punished with it. Provided it. It was provision. Oh, one of my kids is drowning? I got this. And God spoke to the whale. Because God can speak whale. Go get Jonah. And the whale could listen to God better than Jonah could. And over goes the whale. Got it, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll get him. And the whale swallowed, swallowed Jonah. And it was provision to save his life. It was to save him. To save him. Not to punish him. To save him. Now, now here, here's the deal. If you believe in an all-powerful God, if you believe in an all-powerful God, say, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. You believe in an all-powerful God, then that means you believe God could have sent a cruise ship. <laughs> he could have picked him up with a cruise ship. But if he had, Jonah's heart wouldn't have been changed. Right. Jonah wouldn't have been humbled. To, he had, God needed Jonah to be humbled so he was willing to take his message of love to the unlovable Ninevites. God saves us in such a way that it puts us in a dark place so we can grow. And that's what Jonah did. He grew. The Lord provided the whale. He provided the whale. It was provision. But the new beginning didn't look like one. At the time, it didn't feel like provision. It felt like being swallowed by a whale. It didn't feel like provision. His new beginning didn't look like a new beginning. It looked like a terrible end. Think about what it would be like to actually be in the belly of a whale. Stomach acid was likely bleaching his skin and burning his skin. He probably wished he were dead. It was probably terrible. Yet he was spared certain death and was saved. And he should have this attitude, I'm saved. But instead, in chapter two, no joke, he complains about the seaweed being wrapped around his head. Literally. Why is this seaweed on my head? Come on, God. We ever do the same thing? We should be grateful that Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, knowing full well what a booger I am, Christ chose to die for me. And for you. So my heart should be, yes, God, thank you, God, thank you, Lord. But what about the seaweed? Do we do that? Thank you, Lord. And we just turn it right around. Why is there seaweed, though, God? You saved me, but why do I have to deal with the seaweed? Why don't I have a job? Why aren't I married yet? Why don't I have more money? Why did she get sick? Why can't you make me more comfortable, God? What's with the seaweed around my head? Thank you for saving me, though. But what's with the seaweed? 
Jonah figured out how to get out of this rut that he had when he became thankful. It was a grateful heart that turned everything around for him. He became thankful for what was. Jonah 2.9. Pop it up there. We'll read Jonah 2.9 together. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed will make me good. Well, sorry. What, what I have vowed, I will make it good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. His thankfulness got him out of the rut. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. You saved me. You didn't save me with a cruise ship, but you saved me. James wasn't alive back then, but if, but if he was, he would have called up Jonah on the phone and said, Joan, listen, consider it pure joy, Jonah, whatever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of this faith produces perseverance. Yeah, pop that up. Yeah, that's what James said. Consider it pure joy, My, Jonah. Consider it pure joy, Jonah whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Thank you, God, for all you've done. Thank you, God, for who you are. I still don't have a job, but you're still good. I still can't find a date, but your love is steadfast. I'm broken in debt, but you've helped me realize what's actually important isn't all my money. You saved me, you rescued me, and you died so that I could serve you. I'm gonna, right where I am. And when he became grateful, he got out of the whale. He just had to go through a dark time to become thankful. So Jonah obeyed, finally, and he preached to Nineveh. He went back, got off the boat, went back to Nineveh, and he preached to him. And he didn't even do a very good job. It was a terrible sermon. Hey, everybody, you're going to die. That's all he said. You're going to die. I am so thankful that I can still do a terrible job at what God called me to do, but if I'm faithful, God can show up and still do something awesome. You can be awful at doing what God told you to do, but if you're faithful and just step out and do it, God can do something amazing. Jonah showed up and and it was like, hey, y'all going to die. And they believed him. And and, and, and the the ruler over all of Nineveh said, we don't want to die. Everybody, we're going to fast. We got to start praying to his God because his God's going to take care of us. We got to turn. We got to fix this. And God saw their repentance. They truly turned from their wicked ways. God saw their hearts turn and God had mercy on them. And Jonah said, you got to be kidding me, God. This is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh. This is why I got up to Joppa and I got on the boat and went down and I went down more. And then the whole thing is because I knew that if I came to Nineveh, you were going to forgive them. How dare you, God, forgive these people that I hate? Beginning of, first of chapter four talks about that. That's what his heart was. How dare you? I'm paraphrasing, but that was his heart. How dare you forgive these people that I hate? Jonah didn't realize number four. A new beginning is for others. If you get a new beginning, it's not for you. It's for other people. Jonah got out of the whale, but he didn't get out of himself. He was still stuck in himself, selfish and proud. He hadn't learned that his new beginning was for other people, not for his comfort, 
but for other people. You see, when Jonah walked around Nineveh and said, y'all gonna die. I, like reading the story, I really truly think Jonah preached, y'all gonna die, hoping to see it happen. Like it wasn't, he wasn't preaching the mercy of God. He was preaching the judgment of God. And then he went outside, the Bible says he went outside of Nineveh, again, left the call of God. Left, he, left his, he left his assignment. He went outside, where, he left Nineveh to go see what was gonna happen. Stewing. He was angry. So there he was, st- sitting out there on the outside Nineveh. The sun was scorching his head. And there's a theme in the book of Jonah of the provision of God. God provided four things in the book of Jonah. God provided the whale. And then there was a scorching, a scorching sun was beating upon Jonah's head, which... The Bible doesn't explicitly state it, but to me, I like to imagine him bald. He was there. Was there. He was mad and angry. His son was, his son was beating down. This, this is like modern day Iraq area. The son was beating down on his head. He's, oh, he's so frustrated. And so in that pain, in his pain, God wanted to ease Jonah's pain. And God provided, it was provision, God provided a plant. Jonah loved that plant. Little plant popped up, gave him a little bit of shade. I imagine it was a stalk with one leaf. You can imagine it however you want, but it's my imagination, so I can have have it look like whatever I want. It was a plant, and it was covering his head, and he loved it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for easing my pain. I'm getting comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Nothing ever grows in your comfort zone getting comfortable and he started loving the ease. He started loving his comfort. And just when he got comfortable and started loving his comfort, God provided, provision of God, provided a worm to destroy the plant. Because nothing's going to grow where you're comfortable. Nothing grows in your comfort zone. Jonah got mad about the plant and then God provided a scorching eastern wind and he was hotter than all than he's he's been he's mad about the whole thing and why haven't you saved these people and Jonah got really angry Jonah chapter 4 verse 9 God said to Jonah is it right for you to be angry about the plant it is he said and I'm so angry I wish I were dead what a big whiner Jonah But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have not concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there's more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, or perhaps they can't tell right from wrong, and also many animals? And there, the book of Jonah ends. I wish there was like one more chapter to tell us what happened after that, but there's not. Don't you care about the people, Jonah? No, God, I care about my plant. It's right that I'm angry about my plant. Why'd you take away my plant? I wonder if we ever do that. Maybe God says to you, don't you care about the people? Don't, don't you care about life? 
Do we say the same thing like Jonah? No, I care about my plant. Have we gotten out of our whale, but not out of ourselves? God, I care about my plant. I want my plant back. I liked it. It made my head feel better. I care about my career. I care about my money. God, I care about fitting in. Why did you take my plant away, God? Why did you take my boyfriend away? Why did you take my promotion away? Why did you take that opportunity away? Why did you take my job away? Why did you mess up my schedule, God? I care about Netflix. I care about my comfort. I care about not changing anything. I want everything to be the way that it was. I don't want things to change. I don't care about not having things change. I don't care about that other stuff. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. Toby knows what's up. Some of us have gotten out of the whale, but we haven't gotten out of ourselves. God's not that interested in our comfort. He'll ease your pain, but nothing will grow in your comfort zone. The worm had a purpose and the will of God. So God provided it. Would you stand with me? Hopefully God showed you an area where you've perhaps been running from God. I hope it's not a lot of us that are like, our life is characterized by running from God. But Jonah was one of the good guys. And as long as you're human, you're going to have moments where you run from God. So run back. The quicker you humble yourself and say, Lord, search me, show me. And you, the quicker you become aware, the quicker you can put yourself in a righteous standing before God. And when you're in a righteous standing of God, then you're right. You're not right until you're in a righteous standing before God. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot of ways that we can run from you. Lord, I pray that today when you look upon, when you look upon us, you would see a people that are uh, humbled, who don't want to run at all. We just want to align with you and what you want. So, Lord, we repent of trying to put our own opinions on what we think you want. Lord, we're just going to do what you want. We're just going to follow you. You're right. You're the only one that's right. Lord, in the big areas and in the small areas, speak to our hearts where we may be running. Give us the power to move forward towards you. Lord, we lift our eyes to you. We put our attention towards you. We praise you. We declare you are good. We're going to move towards you this morning.